The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, with Sir John Gielgud as Sherlock Holmes and Sir Ralph Richardson as our storyteller, Dr. James Watson. I want to tell you this humble tale of poor Miss Sutherland of the Duchess of Devonshire hat and the grey feather boar. Holmes solved her problem by sheer deduction without moving once from Baker Street. So now I ask you to come back with me to those old chambers of ours on an early spring evening long ago when we sat smoking contentedly together on either side of a cheerful fire. What is it, Holmes? What are you looking at? A client, if I'm not mistaken, Watson. There, do you see her down there in the street, coming up towards our front door? What, the young woman with the big hat? Fidgeting nervously on the pavement. Hmm. I've seen those symptoms before. And what does fidgeting on the pavement mean, pray? Usually an affaire du coeur, Watson. She'd like some advice, no doubt, but she isn't now quite sure that the matter isn't rather too delicate for her to reveal, after all. Ah, but now she plunges like a swimmer leaving the bank. Oh, my soul, you really are impossible. I suppose you can find some further influence from the very ringing of the bell. Of course. Even there one may discriminate. A bell may be rung in a hundred different ways. On this occasion, we may take it that there is a love matter, but that that somewhat sizable maiden isn't so much angry as perplexed or, or grieved. Oh, 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 Will you kindly admit her, my dear fellow, and then we can resolve our doubts. Oh, of course. I'm all eagerness. Good evening. May I see Mr... Mr. Sherlock Holmes, sir? Yes, yes, certainly. And um, the name, please? Miss Mary Sutherland. Oh, come in, Miss Sutherland. Uh, this is Mr. Holmes. I'm his friend and partner. Miss Mary Sutherland, Holmes. Ah, oh, Miss Sutherland, good evening. Do sit down. Good evening. Don't you find that with your short sight it's a little trying to do so much typewriting? Well, I did it first, sir, but I got... Oh, Mr. Holmes, you must have heard of me. How did you know that? It's my business to know things. Otherwise, why should you come to consult me? This gentleman here is Dr. Watson, by the by. You can rely entirely upon his discretion. Thank you, sir. You see, I came because I'd heard of you, Mr. Holmes. I knew you helped people who were in trouble. And what trouble are you in, Miss Sutherland? Oh, sir. I'd give anything if you could solve it for me. I'm not rich, Mr. Holmes, but I've still got a hundred or two in my own right. I'd give it all to know what's become of Mr. Angel. We can discuss the financial aspect later, Miss Sutherland. But tell me, why did you come away to consult me in such a very great hurry? What? You know that too, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> no doubt Dr. Watson understands how I know it, eh, Watson? <laughs> oh, Holmes, don't rub it in. Now, I gather it's true, Miss Sutherland? Yes, sir. I did bang out of the house, rather. Mr. Windybank took it all that easy somehow. Wouldn't go to the police or anything. So I just dumbed my things and came right away to you, Mr. Holmes. Mr. Uh, Windybank, you said? Yes, He's my father. Surely your stepfather, Miss Sutherland, since the name's different. That's right. <laughs> Seems funny, don't it? Because I call him father, and he's only really five years older than I am. Indeed. And your mother's still alive. Oh, yes. Of course, I don't mind saying, Mr. Holmes, that I wasn't best pleased when she married again, particularly so soon after father's death, and a man that was nearly 15 years younger than she was. You uh, mentioned having a little income of your own. My Uncle Ned in Auckland left it me. It's in stock or some such, and I can only touch the interest, which is about a hundred a year. Oh, a gratifying sum for a single girl, Miss Sutherland. Well, Mr. Holmes, I really don't feel I need it much, you know. So I'll let Mr. Windybank, that's father, I'll let him draw it for me, and he gives some of it to mother and keeps the rest. 
Can't have makes me feel I'm not a drain on them living at home. <laughs> I can make my tuppence a sheet from my typewriting, see? Quite so. But, but, Mr. Holmes, I'm so worried. If only you could help me find Mr. Angel. Well, let's first hear all about his disappearance. What is his full name, may I ask? Hosmer. Hosmer Angel. I used to think it was such a nice name. You see, I met him at the gas fitter's ball. Miss Sally, may I? Oh, Mr. Angel. Again? It's the sixth dance you've asked me for, Mr. Angel. Maybe I might. I'll sort another one, too, before it's done, Miss Sutherland. Maybe another two. There only are another two, Mr. Rachel. Well, then. Maybe I might even ask to call on you tomorrow, Miss Sutherland. Oh, Mr. Angel... Wouldn't you call me Hosmer? Hosmer? Mary. Lovely floor, Mary. Lovely, Hosmer. Lovely band, Mary. Lovely, Hosmer. I wish it could go on and on forever, Hosmer. Just on and on forever. On and on. Kind of way it did, you see, Mr. Holmes. Because I used to meet him for walks in the dark evenings. And we'd talk and talk about the ball and the way he'd taken me for all those dances. Most interesting, I'm sure. And when your stepfather came back from France? Well, it had to end then, of course, because father didn't like young men at the house. But then he went away again, you see. Ah. So Hosmer used to come as before. And did he write to you in the intervals? Oh, yes. And so did I. I brought his letters with me, Mr. Holmes. Uh, there you are. I thought you might manage to find one of your famous clues in them. Well, I've no doubt I may, Miss Sutherland. Thank you so much. And then... He... He asked me to marry him, Mr. Holmes. Aha. Uh -huh. With your stepfather's consent, of course, Miss Sutherland. Oh, no, sir. Mr. Windebank would never have given it. After he'd gone to France, Hosmer came to the house one night in dreadful earnest and made me swear with my hands on the testament that I'd always be true to him, whatever happened. He said, could we be married before Father came back from his latest trip? And I said, yes. And Mother was all right, too. She was on our side, and so... Well, Miss Sutherland? It was all arranged for last Friday. Very quietly at St. Saviour's near King's Cross. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Oh, well, now, please, please, calm yourself, Miss Sutherland. Watson, your handkerchief, perhaps, if you'd be so good. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There you are, my dear, there, there. Thank you, gentlemen. You're very kind. You see, Hosmer came for Mother and me in a hansom, And he put us both into it. Then he got into a four-wheeler because it was the only other cab in the street. And when we got to the church, Mr. Holmes... The cab was empty. Mr. Holmes, how did you guess? Well, it's true, Doctor. He, he just disappeared. Good heavens. And I've never seen him since. I'm so afraid for him. Seems to me that you've been most shamefully treated, Miss Sutherland. Oh, no, sir, no. Osma was good and kind. Something dreadful's happened to him. I know he'd never forsake me of his own will. 
You must find him, Mr. Holmes. Well, I'll do my best, Miss Sutherland. I'll most certainly do my very best. You can let me have a description of Mr. Angel, can't you? Well, I put an advertisement in the papers the other day. There it is, Mr. Holmes. You'll find it there. Ah, yes, thank you. Dark whiskers, unusually soft voice. Well, he had the quincy when he was young, and it left him with a weak throat. I see. And his address? I never knew it. Oh. Well, what about the letters you exchanged? I used to write to the post office in Leadenhall Street, marked to be called for. Ah, and his letters to you are unheaded, I see. Very well, Miss Sutherland. You've made your statement very well, very clearly, and I shall certainly do all I possibly can for you. You'll leave me your address, won't you, so that I can get in touch with you? Oh, here it is, sir. In my bag. I wrote it down before I left. Splendid. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. You've been so kind. Not at all. Good day, sir. Good day, Dr. Watson. Good day, good day, my, uh, my dear. Oh, Holmes. Holmes, what a sad story. Have you have you a theory? No doubt I shall have, Watson. We must think. Uh, will you have a pinch of snuff? Huh? Oh, thanks. I say, what a magnificent box. Old gold with an amethyst. <laughs> yes. Oh, of course, I forgot to tell you, Watson. It arrived this morning by special messenger while you were out. A little souvenir from the King of Bohemia in return for my assistance in the case of the Irene Adler papers. <laughs> Holmes, from the glories of Bohemia to the gas fitters' ball, from the courts of Europe to poor Mary Sutherland. Mm, poor Mary Sutherland. Yes, poor indeed, my dear Watson. Once long ago, at the time when we first met, in the Milverton case, I said, I think, that there were crimes that weren't crimes in any recognized sense. What, is this one of them? You mean you've solved it, Holmes? Well, I have a glimmering, at least. A glimmering, my dear fellow. Uh, pass me my violin, will you? It only remains to think for a little, Watson. It only remains to think. Oh, oh. <coughs> capital snuff, this capital. Bless you, my dear fellow. a professional case of my own of some gravity at the time, and I had to spend all that night and all the next day at the bedside of my patient. But I confess that during the long, dark watches, my thoughts went back and back to Miss Sutherland and her problem. For all the preposterous hat and the vacuous face, there's been something rather touching in the simple faith of that unusual visitor of ours. At last, however, I found myself free with my patient out of danger. I hurried to Baker Street. There was Holmes, half asleep in his armchair and half invisible through the fumes from his pipe. A formidable array of bottles and test tubes told me that he'd spent the day in one of the chemical experiments that were so dear to him. Well, well, my dear Holmes. Wake up, old fellow. Have you solved it? Hey, what? Oh, oh, it's you, Watson. What's the matter? Well, I, I mean the mystery, Holmes. Miss Sutherland. Well, oh, sit down. Sit down, my dear Watson. You seem quite agitated. Well, uh, <laughs> it's absurd, I know, but I just can't get that girl out of my mind, poor thing. Such an idiotic problem, somehow. It was never a problem at all, my dear fellow. You'll find a parallel case in Andover in 77, if you consult my index. And there was something of the same sort at The Hague only last year. The idea is really quite old, you know. Well, I'll confess it's new to me, at least. Whatever it is. Well, it has one or two unusual features, perhaps, which aren't without interest. Oh, 
I'm awake now. I'm sorry. Pour yourself some whiskey and soda, my dear Watson, and let me give you a little lesson in observation while we're waiting. Waiting? For what? For whom? For someone who may help us to lay our hands on that missing Hosmer angel. The only drawback is that even when we do find him, I'm afraid there isn't any law that can touch the scoundrel. What puzzles me were his motives. The girl said herself there was no question of money. If he'd even married her first and then deserted her, I'd have understood it better. You seem to be singularly interested in the technique of matrimonial desertion, my dear Watson. My dear fellow, <laughs> I'm only intrigued by the mystery. <laughs> Quite so. Yes, you might uh, pour me a whiskey too, will you? Hmm? Oh, oh, sorry. We must take first things first, Watson. We must consider the fair damsel in some detail. Well, I did try to notice one or two things about her. Excellent. Uh, for example? Well... But one of her gloves was worn through at the right forefinger, for instance. And they'd been good gloves to start with. So I guessed that she was fairly well-to-do in a kind of jolly, easy-going way, a bit careless and so forth. I mean, before she told us about her hundred a year. Admirable. You progress, Watson. Nothing else about the worn glove? Uh, no, I can't say there was particularly. Oh, but I did see the little dents of the parsnip marks on either side of her nose. I wasn't quite as surprised as she was when you told her she was short-sighted. Splendid, splendid, my dear fellow. And the typewriting, of course, and the fact that she'd come to see us in a great hurry, you perceived all that naturally. No, not a bit of it. You had me there, I'm afraid. Ah, well, then let me give you a golden hint, Watson. Always look at a woman's sleeve first. With a man, it's perhaps better to take the knees of his trousers. Ah, but I did look at her sleeve, a kind of purple plush. Exactly, and there's hardly a better material for showing traces. The double line a little above the wrist was most beautifully defined, just where the typist presses against the table, of course. Oh, come, Holmes. There must be dozens of other activities where the same thing happened. What, for instance? Well, um, well, a sewing machine, say, of the hand type. Well done. That leaves an exactly similar mark, but only on the left arm, my dear fellow, and on the side of it furthest from the thumb, not right across the broadest part, as it was in this case. <laughs> ah, all right, you win. But the hurry she'd come in. After the sleeve, the boots, Watson. Well, I did glance at her, uh, at her feet. Yes, to consider the trim turn of her ankle, no doubt. Whereas I observed that her boots, although very similar, uh, didn't match. And that one was buttoned only in the two lower buttons out of the five, and the other only at the first, third, and fifth, showing plainly that she dressed quickly. Uh -huh. Except that it could also illustrate my own point from the gloves that she was easygoing and careless. The gloves confirmed the haste, not the carelessness. What you didn't notice, Watson, was that both the glove and the finger through it were slightly stained with violet ink. So she'd written something before leaving home, but after being fully dressed to go out. She'd written in a hurry and dipped her pen too deep, and it must indeed have been on this very morning, or else the mark wouldn't have been so clear. <laughs> that was the address she wrote down and gave us from her bag. Exactly. <laughs> Well, well, I give you best again, Holmes. Thank you. It was all quite elementary. You know you're really an excellent fellow, Watson. Indeed, and why, pray? Why, to put up with me as you do when I'm so unbearably priggish. Ah. Well, <laughs> let's get back to the missing bridegroom, Holmes. The redoubtable Hosmer Angel. Very well, then. And uh, about him, Watson... Well? I'm afraid I can tell you practically nothing at all beyond what you can read yourself from the girl's description in the advertisement and from what his own letters imply. The description's commonplace enough. No, it isn't without some points of interest, however. Just read it. Um, hmm. About five feet seven. Bushy black side whiskers. Moustache. Tinted glasses. Unusually soft voice. Mm-hmm. Hardly much there, I'd say. And the letters to Miss Sutherland. Singularly trite in sentiment. Except that he quotes Balzac once. Anything else? Well, 
Well, that typewritten, splendid Watson, which in itself is hardly notable, perhaps except that... Uh, the signature's typewritten, too. Mm. Now, that is strange. Just so. And here, if I'm not mistaken, is the visitor I was expecting. Not Hosmer Angel himself, Holmes. James Windybank, the girl's father, Watson. Or rather, stepfather. It's always as well to do business with male relatives in cases like this. I wrote to him immediately and had a reply to say that he'd call on us at 6.30 this evening. Will you kindly let him in? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, shall I describe him to you, Watson, before he knocks? But how can you? You've never seen him. Uh, nevertheless, you will find him tallish, clean-shaven, somewhat loud-voiced, and with a pair of wonderfully penetrating eyes. You'll see, Watson, here he comes. Mr. Shagons? Good heavens. Come in, come in, Mr. Windybank. My colleague here, Dr. Watson, seems a little stunned by your appearance. I really can't think why. Well, Watson, I think it's a bit thick, Mr. Holmes. I really can't apologize, see? Why, what for, Mr. Windybank? Do sit down, won't well, you? Oh, that girl of mine, my stepdaughter, troubling you with all this. On the contrary, it's been no trouble at all. Well, Mary's very excitable and impulsive, see? She would come to you. Well, why not? It's what I'm here for. Well, it is nice to have these family troubles made public, you know. Besides, it's just a useless expense. How could you possibly find this scoundrel, Hosmer Angel? But I have every reason to believe that I have found him, Mr. Windybank. What? Well, well, I'm delighted to hear it. I thought you would be. Watson, do come and join us. Mm. Sit down, my dear fellow. Don't stand staring there now. Let me tell you both a little story. A story, Holmes? Uh, a fairy story. Prefaced by some remarks, perhaps on the typewriter and its relationship to crime. Look here, what's all this about? Now, no two typewriters are quite alike, you know, Mr. Windebank. They are, in fact, as distinctive as handwriting to the expert eye. Now, in these groups of letters I have before me, uh, you'll notice the broken E's and the R that has lost its serif. Interesting, eh, Mr. Windebank? What's all this fantastic talk? If you can catch this Osmer Angel, catch him. Let me know when you've done it. Certainly. Watson, will you lock the door, please? What? Lock it? Mr. Windybank, I have caught Hosmer Angel. Well, what do you mean? Well, come, come, come. This won't do. It really won't. It's only too clear. Confound you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. It isn't actionable. No, I'm very much afraid that it isn't. But between ourselves, it was about as mean a trick as I ever met in my life. Well, I say, Holmes, what's all this about? What do you mean? I mean, Watson, that my fairy story is about a wicked stepfather who had a hundred a year only so long as his wife's daughter stayed with him. He was terrified lest she'd get married someday. So he begins by denying her any form of entertainment where she might possibly meet personable young men. And when he discovers that that won't work forever... He becomes a personable young man himself. Upon my soul. Just so, with the connivance of his wife, who seems to be as mean as he is, he adopts characteristics exactly opposite to his own. A soft voice, tinted glasses to cover his bright eyes, meets her only in the dark. It's a joke. Was that a joke at first? Oh, really, was it? To make a fool of that poor, simple girl, win her confidence and her love, make her swear on the testament that she'd always be true to you, and then, when your own continual visits to France became too much trouble, to take her to the very door of the church, Mr. Windybank, and then conveniently disappear by that old trick of stepping into one door of a four-wheeler and out of the other. By Jove, Holmes! You sicken me, Windybank. Why, you knew perfectly well she'd never forget that one romance of hers. You knew she was tied to you for at least ten years to come by the tragedy of Hosmer Angel's disappearance. And all for the sake of a hundred pounds a year, you greedy wretch. All right. It may be so or it may not. But it's you that's breaking the law and not me. As long as you keep that door locked, you'll have to open to an action for illegal restraint. Unlock it, Watson. Ah. No, the law can't touch you, Windybank. You're quite right there. 
But if that poor girl, Mary Sutherland, had a brother or a friend, he ought to lay a horsewhip across your miserable shoulders. By Jove, I've half a mind to... So have I, Holmes. Confound it. Here's my hunting crop. No, no, you got it. Leave go of me. Take it of me. I'll the Lord, you can't... Let him go, Watson. He really isn't worth a charge for assault. Upon my life, the fellow positively made me ill, Holmes. Of all the scoundrelly tricks... Just so, my dear fellow. I suspected it from the start, of course. And when I got his letter confirming our appointment tonight... Typed, of course. On the very machine that Angel's letters have been written on to disguise his own handwriting, which she'd have known, of course. What a cowardly trick, eh, Watson? Oh, but Mary Holmes, Miss Sutherland, what are you going to say to her? I've decided, Watson, that this is a case in which I shall have to disappoint my client. What can one tell her? If I gave her the truth, she wouldn't believe it. There's a person saying... There is danger for him who taketh the tiger cub, and danger also for whoso snatches a delusion from a woman. We must leave poor Mary with her memory of Hosmer. And so ended the tragedy of the gas fitter's ball. Lovely floor, Mary. Lovely, Hosmer. Lovely band, Mary. Lovely, Hosmer. I wish it could go on and on forever, Hosmer. Just on and on forever. On and on. Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, have been dramatized anew with original music composed by Sidney Torch. Sir Ralph Richardson played the part of Dr. Watson, and Sir John Gilgood that of Sherlock Holmes. The program was produced by Harry Allen Towers.